Welcome to the Voice of Victory podcast. The goal of this podcast is to preserve the life and ministry of our late pastor, Dr. Jim Tedder. For 58 years, Dr. Tedder was the pastor of Victory Baptist Church in Shelbyville, Tennessee. We believe the message you're about to enjoy will be a help and an encouragement to you. Thank you so much for listening. And now, here is Dr. Jim Tedder. One generation fails to serve God, how far down the road of sin does the next generation go? I don't know. If we fail to have revival in our generation, uh, how little of revival will the next generation have? If we fail to do the will of God and keep the commandments of God, you think our children are going to rise above our level of spirituality? I don't think so. I think that if we'll study history, we'll find that each generation get a little bit farther away from God instead of a little bit closer to God. Uh, I think tonight that you would have to say and agree with me that uh, today the churches are not what they used to be. Uh, they're not as strong in the faith as they used to be. Uh, people don't expect as much of God as they used to expect of God. People aren't willing to give as much to God today as they were willing to give to God a few years ago. Uh, I'm not talking about in, in financial ways. Uh, surely today our offerings have increased from what they were a century or two ago. God's people make more money. It takes more to operate a church sent out missionaries today, but I'm talking about giving of themselves. Folks, I'm, I'm thinking right now about revival that, that came a few years ago where it took uh, sometimes as much as six or eight months of preaching, night after night after night before revival would come, that those old evangelists would come into a town and they would begin to preach the word of God. They just keep on preaching and preaching and preaching and they preach against this sin and that sin and they preach about this commandment and that commandment and they preach on this doctrine and that doctrine until people got revived and got saved. Uh, they tell me the Raman Auditorium down at Nashville that for many years housed the Grand Ole Opry was built in order to uh, meet the needs of the Sam Jones revivals that came to Nashville many years ago. It wasn't built. Uh, to be a grand old Opry house. It was built because a preacher needed a pulpit to stand in and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they built that building. And great revival came uh, through the Sam Jones meetings there at Nashville. Well, God raised up some more Sam Joneses. God raised up some more Billy Sundays. Uh, God raised up some more evangelists that'll just go around and do the work of God. And then God give the people in his church the heart to say, I'm going to sacrifice some of my time. Uh, we've got this old attitude, I'll come to revival one or two nights and I've paid my dues. Honey, revival is not paying your dues. Revival ought to be a privilege, as Brother Sonny said a few minutes ago. It shouldn't be a drudgery. It shouldn't be something, oh, this is revival time. Now everybody's expecting me to come and I'll be glad when Friday night gets here. Uh, good night, we ought to look forward to having revival. We're not like I've said other churches that said this is the day to revival and the first Sunday in August or whatever, we're going to have a meeting. I don't think you do it that way. I think you do it when God tells you to do it. Amen? You don't just make up your mind and say, now God fit our calendar. We get on our faces and say, God give us your calendar. And, and when, when it's time for that rustling in the mulberry trees, you let us know. When it's time for the power of God to fall and when it's time for us to bring in a man from out of town or you somebody that's in town to preach to us, you let us know. And you be in charge of this thing. Well, that's what we're trying to do here. What will happen to the next generation if we fail, I keep asking myself that. Well, did you notice the Bible said he didn't do that which was 
right in the eyes of God when I read that scripture to you a while ago? Did you notice the Bible said he didn't walk in the commandments of David his father? Did you read that scripture a few minutes ago? Did you know that brother from David's time, well, his son uh, had a, a, a kind of a little bit of revival, and then Joash came on, and he had a pretty good revival under him, probably one of the greatest revivals Israel had ever seen. But what I'm saying is they began to deteriorate, they began to go away from God, and instead of each generation getting better and better, they seemed to drift deeper and deeper into sin. And that's what's happening in our nation. Folks, that's what's happening in our nation. Instead of each generation getting more loyal to God, dads and moms in our generation said, we don't need to come to prayer meeting. And, and you know what the next generation is going to say? Well, if dad and mama didn't need to go to prayer meeting, we don't need to go to church on Sunday night. And prayer meeting. We'll just eliminate two of them now. They eliminated one, we'll eliminate another. And the first thing you know, uh, churches will be having a drive-in theater meetings. Where you just come to church and you... Nighties, if you want to, and your curlers in your hair, and your fuzzy house shoes on, your pajama legs sticking out from underneath your robe, and you just drive the old Betsy up and roll down the window and get a speaker and put it in there, and some fella from a microphone inside the theater somewhere preaches a little sermonette, and you go home saying, My, I have served the Lord. And how convenient it is. I don't have to get up early. I don't have to uh, get dressed. I don't have to do nothing. I don't have to give any offerings. All I got to do is just drive to the drive-in theater. You say, preacher, you're making fun of something. That's already happening, honey. That's already happening in the name of religion, in the name of Christ. People are doing it every Sunday all across this nation. Instead of coming to a church and meeting and singing and worshiping and, and taking up an offering and praising God and, and doing what folks ought to do, just sit out there and drive in uh, in the car and drive in with the windows rolled down, listen to the birds sing, listen to some little preacherette, preach a sermonette, to a bunch of little Christianettes. Amen? That's all it boils down to. Okay, boy, I mean, good night. I don't even like me sometimes. I, I, I've got work here lately. I don't like me so much I shave in the shower to keep from having to look at me. Just, just feel where I'm shaving instead of looking in the mirror. I want you to notice something real quickly about four or five things about, uh, about Ahaz here. In, in verse 2, notice what the Bible said. The Bible said 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign. And he reigned sixteen years at Jerusalem, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like his, like David his father. And he walked in the ways, uh, he walked in the ways of the king of Israel, not the king of Judah, but the king of Israel, and made his son to pass through the fire. I did a little word study on that one time. Pass through the fire. What's he talking about? There was a certain heathen god named Molech. Molech. Molech was a big brazen statue that, uh, in, literally, he was a big furnace. His, his belly part of him here was a big open furnace, and they would put wood and coal inside that thing, and he would get just red hot. And these people would come out with their drums and with their wild music and singing, very similar to rock and roll today, very similar to rock and roll music today. And these people that worshipped Molech would take their little babies and his arms were extended, his hands were extended out in front of him like so, and the heat that was inside that belly would go out into those hands and they would become a red hot uh, burning fire, just hot molten metal almost. And they would take their little babies while the music was playing and the drums were beating so loud that it was deafening and you couldn't hear the little babies cry. They'd bring their sons and daughters and place it in the hands of that red-hot heathen God and fry those little babies alive. Now, that's what Ahaz was doing. He had learned something from Molech. He had learned that, that 
God requires life and we'll just sacrifice our son. Can you imagine a king of Judah bringing his son and laying it in the hot hands of a heathen God and taking that little baby's life because he wanted to be like somebody else down the street? By the way, did you know that's the sin that's ruining and damning and destroying millions of people today? They want to be like somebody else down the street instead of like Jesus Christ tells us to be. I want to do like they do, and I want to be like they are. Well, the Bible said he offered his children. He made them pass through the fire. Then in verse 4, the scripture says concerning Ahaz, the Bible said, and he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places and in the hills and under every green tree. Well, uh, he burned incense in the hills, the high places. Uh, they had another thing, the, the uh, prophets of Baal. They would always build their altars in the, they call them the groves. And the scripture says that this king had accepted these low-down, wicked, heathenistic standards. You stand with me? He was a male prostitute is what it was up there in the groves. And the Bible said here was a king of Judah. Here was a man that was a descendant of David. Here was a man that was a grandson of David who was a man after God's own heart living exactly like the heathen do. You say, Brother Tedder, we would never stoop that low. Well, what about the X-rated filth and the R-rated filth that's being shown on the televisions and, on, and, and, uh, and up at the Capri Theater? Now, I know there's nobody here that would dare go to that. I know you wouldn't. Now, I know there's nobody in this church that would dare go see 666 or the exorcist or any kind of witchcraft, Satan-worshipping, uh, devil-exalting mess like that. I know you wouldn't. But there's a lot of people that do. And I'm not fool enough to think I'm not skinning somebody's shins right now. And we do it because we want to be like everybody else. And we don't want to miss out on anything. And we think the devil has got more to offer us than Jesus Christ. So therefore, we disgrace the name of Christ and commit sins that in the eyes of Almighty God is just as much an abomination as what Ahaz is doing here in the chapter that we're reading. Well, the scripture says again in verse 8, verse 8 of that same chapter, And Ahaz took silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. Holy things didn't seem to matter much to Ahaz anymore. He started the downward plunge, and that which is holy and high and righteous and decent and godly didn't seem to matter. The only thing that mattered is I don't want to make some of my worldly friends mad at me, and I'm afraid I might offend them. Come on. That's one of the biggest excuses that people give for not being soul winners today that you've ever heard. I'm afraid I'll offend them. And I'm afraid that if I go to them and try to witness to them, I'm going to drive them away. Drive them away from what? They're headed straight for hell. And friend, if you can drive them away from hell, you're going to be doing them a favor. You say, Brother Jim, you don't know my friends. I don't know your friends, but I do know excuses. And I do know that there comes a time when God's people begin to respect the world more than they do God's people. You say, you're an idiot. You go back sometimes and you read the first five chapters and six chapters of the book of Genesis. You read the names that Cain named his children. Read them. And then you read the, the names that Seth descendants named their children. And it's going to shock you that Seth descendants named their children after Cain's descendants. In other words, they got a big bad case of hero worship. 
Twiggy came out and every woman wanted to look like Twiggy. I think I'd rather look like Twiggy than that Dolly gal, don't you? Listen to me. And old Park Gable pulled his undershirt off and me and quit wearing undershirts then. And some old Roman Catholic got a hairy chest and put a chain around his neck with a cross on it. Men went all wild and kicked crazy over that and started unbuttoning their shirts down to here wearing a little chain with a cross on it because some heathen man is dictating to him and telling them this is the way you ought to be. Amen. Church just tags along, follows right out after all that mess. We're trying to please the world instead of God. Let's get back to trying to please God. Well, Evidently, in Ahaz's life, he had visited the temple of Mordecai. And he'd seen a little bit different sacrifices going on in, in, in the temple of Molech or in the temple of Baal than was going on in, in, in Judea, Judah at that time. So he decided, I'm going to bring about some changes. I want to be like them. Well, they've got a better way of doing it, and I want to be like them. Honey, you listen to me. There's not anybody that's ever come up with a better way of doing business in the church than the New Testament plan. God's plan is the best. God's plan is the best. And we'll, we can search the wide world over, and we can get all the promoters and all the professional people, and we can pay them $1,000 an hour, but we're not going to come up with a plan that works unless we do it the New Testament Bible way. Well, he said, I'm going to make a few little changes. I've been to these other temples. It seems like their religion is a little bit more convenient, so we'll just make a few minor changes, not amount to a whole lot, just a little bit, and we'll make these changes. And he did three things in the temple tonight that I want you to see. By the way, let me read you a verse of Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 5. 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 5. And he said, and, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy son walk not in the way. Now make us a king to judge us like the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when, he, uh, when uh, they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. I want you to notice what Israel said. They said, Let us be like everybody else. Victory Baptist, may God blow this church, the kingdom come, the day that we decide we're going to be like everybody else. I mean, it's not worth standing here. Let it collect dust. Let it become a tobacco warehouse. Let it become a skating rink. Let it become a, a, a place for bats and wild animals to lodge in and dwell. Rather than us trying to be like everybody else and please every John Doe that comes down the pike. God help us on that. Let us be like other nations. And Samuel got all heartbroken over that. And God said, Samuel, go ahead. If the people want to be like everybody else, let them be like everybody else. You know what that tells me, church? That tells me that Victory Baptist Church can become a soft, soap, and compromising church in six months. We can become that. We can be that. God said, let them do that. But Samuel know this, it's not you they're turning down, it's me they're turning down. And every sin that you and I commit, mister, is a sin against the God of Calvary. And who is that God? The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he said, let us be like others. And evidently, old Ahaz has said, now let us make this place to where it can be like the temple of Molech or the temple of Baal. And there are just three little changes that needs to be done. First of all, let's build us a new altar. That's what he said. Let's build us a new altar. 
And then, and the Bible said that uh, uh, that this priest went out and built that altar exactly the way I has told him to build it. And and uh, and uh, when Ahaz returned home, he found his bright new shining altar there. He offered his sacrifices upon that altar and took the brazen altar of God and slid it over to the side of the temple on the north side of the Bible Sea. Now let me tell you a little bit about that temple. It had one entrance and it faced east. It was facing east. And when you entered into that temple, and there were some articles of furniture, if you, if you could get up over top and just, and just rip the top off of that thing and look right down in, here's what you'd see, basically. I might have them a little bit out of order, but I don't think they're in too bad a position. The brazen altar would be the first one. It would be the one that was standing in front of the door that was facing uh, toward the east. Then would come uh, like this, maybe not in this exact order, but there would come uh, the uh, labor, I believe, in the altar of incense, and then on and behind the holiest of holies, and on this side was the candlestick, and on that side was the table of showbread. Now, if you could look at that thing the way God would see it, watch me, you'd start up here with the altar, and you'd go all the way back here to the holiest of holies, and over here the table of showbread, and over here are showbread, and the table and the candlestick on this side. Now, if you draw a line from this altar to the Ark of the Covenant, and from the table of showbread all the way over to the candlestick, you'd have yourself a cross. You remember what I told you this morning? that everything about that temple pointed toward Jesus Christ. And the first thing when you walked into that temple that caught your eye was that brazen altar. There was a fire in that altar. It was a big tall thing about like so. And at the corners of that brazen altar, there were some horns that stuck out like so on the four corners. These animals, these priests would bring their animals and the people would bring their animals to the priest. And the priest would take that animal that was to be sacrificed, and they would take a little rope, and they'd tie that animal around that horn. It was on that brazen altar where he couldn't run, he couldn't get away. And then they would shed the blood of that animal. Now, it was said that there was a little cross that was built that ran outside, that uh, went outside the city walls, and the blood emptied out out yonder through that little trough. And then they would take that, uh, uh, that offering and they would quarter it and then they would lay that offering on that fire and the fire that was inside that brazen altar would lap up and consume that offering. And that was a picture of the suffering of Jesus Christ. Folks, when Jesus at the age of 12 years old went to that temple, that's what he was seeing those priests do. They were cutting the throats of those animals bleeding those animals, quartering those animals, laying upon that brazen altar, and that fire would lap up around that offering and devour it. What is that significant of? That tells me that Jesus Christ had to shed his blood. Every drop of blood had to be shed. That tells me that Jesus Christ had to suffer at the hands of men as that sacrifice suffered at the hands of men. That tells me that Jesus Christ, like your soul, Herman, felt the very fires and the very heat of hell as it was consumed there on the cross of Calvary. Brother, that brazen altar represented the cross. Are you with me? That brazen altar represented the Lamb of God taking our sins, dying in our place, suffering our hell. That's what it spoke of. Ahaz says, now let's take the cross out of the picture. The blood has become offensive. People are rewriting hymn books today to keep from having the word blood in there. Afraid they're going to offend some modernistic infidels. 
let the modernistic infidel be offended. Without the shedding of blood, the scripture said there is no redemption. And today, in, by the way, there's a pastor in a neighboring city, in Tullahoma, in a Baptist church, that refuses to say blood in the pulpit. When he comes across the word blood, he calls it the golden cord. The golden cord. If he had any sense at all, he'd know the blood is the scarlet cord. Amen? Not the golden. He said, oh, the golden cord. He graduated from one of the seminaries that said, don't offend people for talking about a slaughterhouse religion. I'm telling you what, he's not offending his congregation, but they're going to be offended some of these days when they drop into hell because he's been preaching to them a watered-down salvation. They're going to be really offended then. I'd lot rather offend somebody trying to get him saved than let them be offended at me as knowing that they came to this church and didn't hear the truth. Amen? God help us. Well, th th this, this, this was the first thing that you saw when you entered into the temple. God is saying to us in Christianity, the first and main theme of Christianity is the cross and the suffering of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He told his young preacher boys, he said, fellas, preach on any subject in the book. But just as soon as you deplete that subject, head just as fast as you can to the cross of Calvary and point the sinner to the suffering Son of God. Amen. That's good advice. Preach on the second coming, but end up at the cross. Preach on the offerings, but end up at the cross. Preach on hell, but end up at the cross. Preach on heaven, but end up at the cross. Preach on baptism, but end up at the cross. And let the world know that it was on the cross that our salvation was purchased. And without the cross, and without the shed blood, men will die in their sins and go to an eternal haven. Ahaz said, let's get rid of the cross. The cross is the central theme of the Bible. The Old Testament sacrifices pointed toward the cross. When John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, showed up, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he was talking about his death on the cross. The cross is the central theme of the Bible. You take the cross out of the scripture and there's nothing else left to be preached. But yet like Ahaz today, the blood of the cross and the old-time religion and the old-fashioned salvation has become offensive in 1982. Brother, I, I'd rather offend men than offend God in ceasing to preach the cross. Let us stand by the cross. Let us uplift the cross. Let us point the sinner to the cross. Let us sing that song and sing it with all the power that we've got. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. At Calvary. Jesus is very near. Well, that one little change that he made, he just kindly removed the cross out of the preaching, and out of the teaching, and out of the public view. He deviated from his message. No longer was his message hinging and centering around the cross. That's the second change that was made in verse 17. The scripture says here that he told his, his hired priest, by the way, Look at verse 16. Then did Elijah, the priest, according to all that King Ahaz commanded. Honey, there's a time that God's people quit doing what the king tells them to do. That's when the king starts telling them to do something that's contradictory to the word of God. I've got just as much respect for Ahaz as I do Elijah. You ought to stop. I mean, it, he was the man that was in charge of the temple. He was the priest. 
He was the man that was going to answer to God. And even though the king said, Master, we're going to make some changes. And you ride to the backbone that God meant for him to have. He said, Mister, I'll have nothing to do with your changes. You change it, mister, but I'm not going to be a part of it. Everett Seuss, Dillinger, that fellow up in there, where is he? Nebraska, up in Nebraska, was starting his sixth week in jail. While we've been teaching school, Brother Sullivan has been arrested. Coming, not, well, coming next Sunday night, we're going to have just a little bit of a tape. It's about 20 minutes long. And we're going to show you the police walking past pastors with Bibles, walking inside a church, arresting a preacher where a bunch of kids were singing and worshiping God and taking that man out as a common criminal because he insists on having a school without being licensed by the state. By the way, if Mr. Sullivan's case fails, then it's not going to be long till these mangy, devilish hands of these bureaucrats are going to put the stranglehold on Christian education all across this nation. What happens to him will eventually happen to us. The wicked morals of California will one day be the wicked morals of Tennessee. Just take a little longer to get here. What's happening in Nebraska will start happening in other states. They're closing churches down right now in the state of California. Because some pastor obeyed God and got up and preached against homosexuality. Closed the church down. But this is not a church, it's a political organization. That's a sad day when things like that can happen in America. It's a sad day when the federal government or any other government can think in their minds, I can make laws that will govern the God of the universe. That's all they're trying to do, folks, is govern the God of the universe, and he's just too big for man's little puny laws. The Bible says here that the king Ahaz said, you do it? Uriah just said, yes, O king! Anything you want, I'm here, I'm your servant, I'm your slave. If you want me to see, uh, decorate the inside of the holiest of holies, I'm at your command. Oh, you, brother, listen. God saved this nation from panty-waist preachers. Amen. God saved this nation from preachers that can't be men. God saved this nation from preachers that will not stand up and preach that Bible as God wrote it, even if they preach the church house dry. But by the way, I'm convinced of this, and God's convinced me of this of over 20 years of preaching. For every old hypocrite the word of God will send out, the word of God will bring in two sheep. Well, let's change the labor now. He said, let's do a little operation on the labor. We got rid of that altar now. We got it out of the way. It's no longer in the front view. People no longer see the cross. People no longer have to look at that old glory blood. People no longer have to think about sin. We just got rid of that. We pushed it over here to the side of the north. Then he said, let's, let's do something for the labor. The, verse, uh, the Bible said in verse uh, 17, and Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed the labor from all of them and took uh, down, uh, took it down from the sea off the brazen, and took down the sea off the brazen oxen that were under it, and put it upon the pavement of stone that labor set up on on a, on a base like this. He raised her up, cut the base off, and he took the the oxen that raised the labor up a little bit higher, and he took the oxen out and just set the labor down. 
But what does a leader stand for in the Bible? Stands for the Word of God. The Word of God. He's not asked Buck, he told us on that, and I heard him mention it the other day. The ladies, the Word of God. How did we get the ladies, Buck? Mirrors, what? With mirrors. They brought their mirrors. You know what the Word of God is? The Word of God is a mirror. Mirrors won't lie to you. As a boy, one time I remember we were pulling out. You truck drivers know this very well. We were pulling out one place and, and he looked through the mirror. He said, Is there anything coming? He looked through the mirror. And then he turned his head like that and looked out the window. He said, I ought to know that mirrors don't lie. He said, That mirror said nobody was coming, but I had to look and see from the show. He said, The mirror doesn't lie, does it? I said, No, the mirror doesn't lie. It'll just reflect back whatever's there. It'll just show you what you are. I mean, it's the mirror that you'll find the dirt on your face, isn't it? It's in the mirror that you find that your hair needs combing, isn't it? It's in the mirror that you find there's a smudge that nobody else can, that everybody else can see but yourself. It's the mirror that shows you that. And brother, it's the mirror of the Word of God that shows us what we're really like. He said, now we've gotten rid of the cross. Let's get rid of that mirror. I mean, after all, we don't have to have the mirror anymore. Uh, we know what we look like. We know we're good. We know we've attained. So let's get rid of the mirror. Let's just get rid of the labor. Uh, inside that uh, labor was water. You know what the water was for? Before that high priest entered into that holy place, he went and washed his, his self in the, in, in the labor. Washed himself in the labor. And there was another priest that just stood right over here. And if that priest that was about to enter that holy place, he just stood there with his job just to wash himself. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is true. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it said, Husbands, love your wife, even as Christ loved his church and gave himself for it, that he might wash it, might cleanse it, and wash it by the water of the word of God. How are we washed? By the water of the word of God. How are we made clean? By the word of God. How do we see our filthiness? By the word of God. Ahab said, Let's lower that just a little bit. Let's lower the stones. Let's lower the sights. We're shooting too high. We were reading the little pilgrim's progress just before we came to church tonight. And uh little pilgrims on their way to heaven. 
stopped in the house. We're getting out of the house. The house was called uh, the interpreter's house. I believe it was. And uh, brought the little kids into a room. There was a miserable old man inside that room. He had some straw and some dust on the floor and a paint in his hand, and he was just stuffing through that straw. Looking, looking, looking. Miserable old man. No happiness, no joy, no victory, no peace. He was just looking down, looking down, hopping through the straw. Little kids watched him a little while. They said, What you looking for? They said, The old wicked prince has got him convinced that there's something valuable in that straw. And he's looking to find out great prize. And the little kid said the interpreter pointed up this way. And they looked up. They saw an angel standing up above him. And that angel had an invitation in his hand and was begging the old man, get on the highway to glory. But he couldn't do that. He couldn't hear the angel. He was busy shuffling through. He was busy shuffling through his television program. He was busy shuffling through his duty that the world demands. He was busy seeking happiness in the earth. Happiness was a love. And the only way you could go over to look is down this way. And you couldn't get him to look that way. And you know what? There's a bunch of God's people in that same way. They're looking down and they keep looking up. Lift up, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. Amen? Lift up those eyes, beloved. Get it off the world. Get it in the Word of God. I promise you, the more Bible you read, the greater heaven is going to look to you. The more Bible you get familiar with, the less attraction and the less pull this world is going to have on you. But we've lowered the labor heaven. We've lowered the standard, brother. We've lowered the measuring stick. And we're measuring ourselves with ourselves. And the Bible said in 1 Corinthians, the man that measures himself with himself is not wise. Let me show you how we're doing that. I'm not going to come to church on Sunday night because I can get you some Sunday school teachers that don't come to Sunday school on Sunday morning. God help our Sunday school teachers. I, I might be out of hand right now in this crowd, but if you've got a Sunday school class, be faithful. We like to have a fight last week on these junior boys' rooms because those boys were up there without the teacher. Teacher, if you're teaching in Victor Baptist Church, look upon yourself as being late if you're not here 15 minutes from mine. I congratulated one of our lady teachers, Miss Bonnie Porter. I watched her today. I just stood down here in this thing, looked up there. We had one teacher. I don't know how many more, but we had one teacher standing up down at the head of those class, greeting those little boys and girls when they came into her class. You know what? We need one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, whatever how many teachers we got standing at the door, waiting for those little kids to give you a group and make them feel like you are somebody. I didn't expect that to go in the TV, but I'm telling you like it is. You know what? We walked through a mall last night. Did you ever try to buy a size B shoe? B whip shoe. Jim Bain has got a size B foot. They talked me into the notion of taking them to Nashville to find a pair of shoes. We walked through every mall, went into every boot barn, every shoe bar. If it even smelled like a foot, we'd go in it. <laughs> Trying to find him a size B wet shoe, and we've not found one yet. And we walked, first time in my life I'd ever been to Hickory Hollow Mall. That's a beautiful place in Hickory Hollow Mall. 
Maybe I walked through there. And, and I got down there to where they had to look like a jungle and, 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 and vines and flowers and trees and, and beautiful greenery growing. And it was going about that high off the ground. And it was literally any little kid could get over in and play hide and go seek if he wanted to. I pointed that out when we went by. And my wife, I said, look at that, honey. I said, those flowers are not trampled on. And I said, there's no little kids over yonder vomiting in the water fountain. Amen. And there's nobody throwing toilet paper over there and getting the fountain stopped up. And I said, if that was in a church, you couldn't have that kind of green growing. Because little kids would pull it up by the roots. And Mama said, honey, you shouldn't do that. Now it makes me sick to my stomach when a mall can have better discipline than God's church house. Now that's sickening and that's wrong and that's wicked. Nothing right about that. We ought to be able to set a goldfish pond right here in the middle of this church if we wanted to, and the little fish would be swimming around there six months from now. You put a goldfish pond down there and see what happens. Some little darling will come down here and choke them to death. That'll be what happens. They'd last about 30 minutes. You know why? Because people just look upon God's house as being just a second place, just a shoddy work. You listen to me. The most important house in this community is this house that you're sitting in tonight. This is God's house. This is the place where God said, I will meet with my people. Now, I'm not worshiping this stinking building. Matter of fact, I'd be better off without it. Remember? Because we got to worry about getting paid for it. Amen? I'm not worshiping this building. And this building is nothing more than a barn to house God's little lamb. But it ought to be respected. People shouldn't roam these halls while the gospel is being preached unless they're out there for a reason. Now there's a reason for people to be out there, but not a whole hundred people. Buck was up here teaching the other day, and I had to go in the back, and I heard someone. I said, "What in the world?" I opened that door and there was 14 people just jabbing up and down these halls. Now 14, nothing. 14 up there and 14 there and 14 more there. Walked in the office and there's 14 more. Honey, that office's not that big. Oh, Boy, we're getting the fat in the fan now, ain't we? Little old youngins, bless their hearts, wondering what. Somebody told me, I didn't know this. Somebody told me the other day, some of our kids sat up there for a half an hour waiting for a Sunday school teacher to show up. Honey, that's got to change. Now, the more buses we operate, the more of these little urchins we're going to bring in. You want this church to get burned down, you just leave them up there by themselves long enough, honey. You'll walk in some of these days, you won't recognize your darling little kids or your darling little Sunday school room. They'll change it into a jungle. But, but it don't happen that way at Hickory Hollow Mall. Why is it that people treat God's house? Herman, why is it that we get up on Sunday morning and be parked up on wheels? You think anybody messes with a PA system at Hickory Hollow? You think there's somebody that will walk in behind the stage of the Grand Ole Opry house and get a hold of that PA set and play with it because it's there? What is that God's house is treated like a hen house. And it ought to be treated with all the respect that we would show any other place on the face of this earth. 
own company that these musicians don't mind you playing these instruments, but I am also confident that it's a sin and a shame to abuse either one of them. Let's lower it, preacher, let's lower it. Let's lower our standards. Let's get our way of living down below Victor Hall Mall. Let's get our way of living down below the Randall Walker House. Let's get it in church where you can do anything and anything that you want to do. Two years ago, during invitation time, no boy hugging up on a girl sitting over here. Do you remember that? An old, old church house? Hugging up on a girl, loving up on her. I looked back there, I said, Father, get your hand off that girl. And he turned. I said, Mister, get your hand off that girl. Well, that time, man, she, she about ready to start hugging up on him. I said, I'm going to have to stop this, or somebody's going to get embarrassed. I said, No! Get your hand off that girl before I take your hand off of her. You know what? Parents said, Look, his heart, he better not talk to my young like that. You better teach your young and quit loving the devil letting old talk. My soul. You listen to me? Let's lower our standards, preacher. Let's get it down there in the muck and the mire. Let's get it down there where we accept anything that comes along. I mean, after all, let's lower that label. After all, I know it's a reflection. After all, I know it's for cleansing. But let's lower it a little bit. No, let's lift it up a little bit. Let's lift it up a little bit. Let's put the label back. Let's put the, 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 the oxen back under the label. Let's put the base back on the label. Let's put it back where it belongs. Amen? Then the, the next thing we do. Look at verse verse 18. And the Bible said in the covenant uh, for the Sabbath that they had built the house and the king entered the house. A covenant. Now, I looked up that word covenant. Look it up in your, in your dictionary. Uh, Bible dictionary. Bible concordance. It means a, a secret entrance. It means a covered wall or walkway. They had one entrance. By the way, there's just one approach to God. And that's through the cross. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I'm the door to heaven. I'm the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall find peace and rest. He said in John chapter 10, verse 1, there's people that try to get in some other way other than through the door. And he said the same as a thief and a robber. Hey, by the way, you know what? God said there's just one approach, and that's the open approach. There's just one approach, and that's the public approach. There's no secret entrances to heaven. And I wouldn't give you a dime for a disciple of Christ that's ashamed of his Savior. For somebody to be saved and reject baptism, I doubt their salvation. For somebody to be saved and not sing, I doubt the sincerity of their profession. For somebody to have a talent and not use it, you can make excuses if you want to, mister, and hide behind anybody you want to hide behind. But if God's given you a talent and you're wasting it, shame on you. Shame on you. Let Christ get honor in the church. Use what God's given you. They made another entrance. Instead of the straight and narrow, they made a side entrance. Instead of the way that the whole world knows the way they stand, they said, let's slip in at the side. Let's don't come in the main entrance. Let's do a little shady stuff on the side. Let me tell you something, honey. God sees in the shade. Let us have a little secret sin. 
David said, if I take the wings of a dove and descend uh, ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. David said, I can't go so high and I can't go so low that the eyes of God does not behold me. Amen? God sees it. God knows. Brother Ford, I, I remember that verse of Scripture over and over and over and over and over, and over and there is no need that they should tell him what was in their hearts because Jesus knew the hearts of men. Over and over and over and over. And when Jesus knew their thoughts, and when Jesus knew what they were thinking, and when Jesus knew what they were speaking of, over here in this distance, he says such and such. God knows every secret crevice of our hearts. God knows every lewd and wicked and fault that man has. God hears every word we whisper as if it was shouted through a megaphone. God knows the thought and the intent of the heart. And the Bible said not only does he know, but he searches those things over. Whether he takes the microscope and he looks diligently into the men and the men and women's hearts. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? I know that every kid that's in this church is not going to quit listening to rock and roll music because I preached them the last year. I know that every human being is not going to quit experimenting with fornication and adultery because we told them about the herpes that they could take. I know that. And I know that, that, that this New King James Bible, there's some of it that's going to buy it and read it and exalt it and lift it up. I know you're going to do that in spite of what you've heard from this pulpit. I know that. And I know some of you are going to let your little kids run roughshod over God's house in spite of what I say here tonight. Tell them what is one of these things called? $75 or dollars $100? That's not a toy. That's not a toy. That's something that God's given this church to be a blessing to you. They're not toys. Use them. But don't abuse them. By the way, let me clear the air here. We're not building that room to keep people from keeping with the microphone system. We're building that room because we think we can improve on the sound quality of our teaching services. And I, for one, believe it ought to be the very best that we can make it when we come to God's house. I believe when the crusader sings, they ought to sing to their best. I believe when a choir sings, they ought to be to the best. Amen? When somebody steps behind this thing to sing a special, it should be chip-chopped. Okay? James says, Be ye doers of the word, and not doers only. Hebrews writer, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, said we ought to be a gazing stock of the word. I'm talking about God's good people. A gazing stock. People ought to look at your life. People ought to look at your service. People ought to look at your faithfulness. People ought to look at your steadfastness. People ought to look at the regularity that you come to church the way you serve God. And they ought to be encouraged, Mr. and Miss Christian, by the way you and I live. God said you ought to become a gazing star. I don't want nobody to know I'm saved. What kind of Savior do you got? That you're ashamed of. I'm proud that Brother Jim here lately has been using some of our young people to take up offering on Sunday night. But some of our young people have been staying home on Sunday night because they're afraid he's going to call on them 
and take up the offering. And if he calls on him to take up the offering, they're sure to death or completely going to fall on him to praise him and give him all. 